Welcome to the Talk with Clads podcast. Your host is Katie Ann, an island girl on a journey with her guests to learn about their backgrounds, businesses, passions, experiences, life lessons, and wins. Come and laugh, cheer, learn, and plan with us. My friend, take some time to come and talk with Clads. Well, welcome to Talk with Clads. My name is Katie Ann and I'll be your host for today. Our guest today is attorney Aubin Robinson of Aubin Robinson and Associates PA. He is an alumni of the University of Miami and Howard University and has over 28 years experience as an attorney. He practices in multiple areas such as of law, such as divorce and family laws, wills, probate and guardianship and small business. Attorney Robinson, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome (laughs) So do you prefer to go by Attorney Robinson or Lawyer Robinson? Well, it depends culturally. Most people in the Caribbean culture tend to say Lawyer Robinson. Okay. So, and and it's, it's actually more common for people to call out Lawyer Robinson. So say Lawyer Robinson. But, and now that sort of comes stuck across the board. Everybody. <laughs> right. Everybody says Lawyer, Lawyer Robinson. Robinson. <laughs> well, that, that becomes a part of your brand. So tell us a little bit about yourself and also about your law firm. Well, I'm an attorney. We're located here in Royal Palm Beach. Uh, we've been here since the late 1990s, uh, about 1998. We're one of the first to have started here, I think probably Bob and Larry with Fuchs and Jones, who were right across the hall from us, were some of the earliest attorneys. And then there's another practitioner who is right across the street that's there. We've sort of seen Royal Palm Beach grow into where we are right now as as practitioner. My focus has been, as you mentioned, uh, those critical areas there. Our practice, we like to say it's about property and money. Uh, it really is. We're yeah. protecting property or money or getting an equitable share of property and money. And that's it's really what it is. Divorce, property and money. Um, small business, property and money. Wills, guardianship, probate, property and money. That's really what it comes down to. So if there's one common denominator in our practice, it's property, property and, and money. money. So what was your motivation for starting your own law firm versus working for someone else? Well, I've actually wanted to be an attorney from when I was a, a, a child. In fact, I mapped out um, my pathway to being an attorney when I was in the fifth grade. Oh, wow. So uh, I, I knew exactly what the curriculum was for law schools to graduate um, from the time I finished my fifth grade uh, year of school. And so it's one of those things. I'm a firm believer in actually mapping out at least eight to 10 steps of every move before you actually get to the point where you need to make those decisions. So I had it all mapped out away from then. So it was it was a, a decision of mine. Along the way, took certain steps into business. I majored into insurance and actuarial science and did high finance and did computer programming, a whole bunch of stuff at an early age, those things. But then the focus was always on law. So when it came time to get my direction back to law, it was very easy, even though all those exciting right. things were going on in law was there. And I always wanted to actually be what I consider myself community lawyer. A thing I like to tell people is my community is a part of my practice and I'm a part of my community. And so, in fact, somebody asked me the other day, wow, you've been here for 25 years. And 
you are there and you see the thick and thin. That's right. And I said, right. I'm actually, my business come from my community and I'm a part of that community. And so I have to give a recognition that I participate in the community. It's just being here. I don't just show up and say, I have a practice and I'm going to market and get some clients. Right. I'm actually a part of the community. So I had many opportunities when I was younger. In fact, I've referred many people who offered me the corner office in the higher towers. And I've tell them, choose that person because that's not my ideal as to how I see myself as attorney. Okay. And so you said you're a community attorney. So what, what, what does that look like for some of our listeners? Okay. For some of your listeners, in essence, I more so care about being known within my local community. It's, it's not of any national power or anything of that nature. It's the, it's the people that are there. Um, my practices cover a broad span of people. I like to tell everybody, I represent everybody from the, the athlete who has millions of dollars to the man who picked the beans in the street. And everybody get the same focus. Okay. And everybody, and that's and when you're on the community level, you look at people as a striated community, but everybody get the same focus. I made a promise to my mother before she died to make sure you always stay that everybody can walk into your office and actually buy your brain, that you don't lock yourself off where segments of the community cannot walk in and say, hey, Lloyd Robinson, how how do you you do certain things? Okay. Okay. So, and I and and that's how you you've established a successful client base. You think, or yes, it's it's been a it's been a critical part of it, and you actually go with the ebb and flow of the community. I doing I I'll give you an example. During the Great Recession, when people were losing their homes in foreclosure, uh, we shifted our practice and fought tooth and nail uh, to preserve people's homes. I. In fact, you you can look at my billing today, and there's a section there of almost five hundred thousand dollars in billable hours that will never be paid. Okay. But we went to bat to actually save people's home, and those things you don't necessarily tell people. Right. Listen, I don't. I didn't do it. I did it because guess what? There are people here that had kids. They had homes that they needed to preserve. And we got caught in a situation where the electronics of the banking system was now making automated decisions and people's lives were going to be disrupted. So if you don't step in and fight, then how do people actually preserve themselves? And they honestly did not have the money to pay you. Right. So we have my new manager. Looks, he said, wow, where's this, this, this <laughs> trunk of billables here? That you, and I said, yes. I said, that's the Great Recession. Right. It's, it's actually to me, it's a great badge of honor to say these large these these this amount of funds will never really be collected because we did it. We stepped in and we did a lot of work and for people who did not have the resources to pay. Okay, all right. So, were there any resources that you used um, for yourself as as an as a new attorney um, when you entered um, the the field of law? As a new attorney, one, one of the first things I did was I, I actually went home, in right. essence. You sort of reattach yourself with the people that knew you, people that knew you from high school, that knew you from younger. Go back. I went back and connected myself with the older people, the teachers, okay, the principals. 
in, from school, the the pastors. So in essence, I, I literally re-engaged myself back in the community. I joined community boards. I went on panels that were seeking to, to change and develop the community. There were charrettes and all sorts of things that were going on back in the late 1980s, early 1990s to actually make Palm Beach County better. Okay. And so Palm Beach County has actually benefited from the byproduct of all those grassroots stuff now, which we don't, we've grown well beyond what Palm Beach County was right. at that time to what it is now. And so you had to step back in, give input, give information. And as a person for, from an African-American and Afro-Caribbean descent who knew the data of how South Florida was going to change, it was actually important to actually weave perspectives into the dialogue. So where we were coming from as a county is not necessarily where we were going, but economically, we should stay stable. Right. We should stay stable and we weave the dialogue in there. And so we can actually talk and somebody can say, oh, that's a smart kid. Okay. And he's here for everybody. And that's the important thing. Um, especially now, I said we tend to start draw corners now where everybody started saying, I'm here for me, but all of us are here no matter what. And we all are going to be living in this American pie. It doesn't matter how we think of it. The pie will grow and the pie will change in its shade. It will change in its accents. It will change in its dialogue. However, the pie will grow over time so long as we recognize it's better for all of us to contribute something to it. Okay. So as a very experienced attorney and, uh, you know, you have a wealth of um, knowledge, one of the things that you do, you do is mentor um, other attorneys. So is there a reason why you choose to mentor other attorneys? Well, it, it's partly because that you have to, in essence, allow opportunity for people to come into the fabric. When I came into law, and it was the recession. The early 1990s was a, was a massive recession at the time. Nobody was employing anybody. And it was very, very tough for minorities to actually come into the practice of law. And I had a wonderful attorney I met, Attorney Gwen Key. And Gwen was smart, tall, beautiful, wonderful personality. And I said to her, and I walked into her office, and I said to her, okay, you have a desk or a table. That's all I need. And I said, you don't have to pay me a dime. I don't care if you can pay me a dime. I will make you money, and ergo, I'll make myself money. Okay. And she said, okay, Robo, you say so. And she gave me a conference table, and that's where I started practicing law on that conference table. And I worked there. And then I said, you got to figure out how to establish out the resume. And after doing that about a year and a half, I went to the attorney general's office and to see exactly how that was. And I was there for about three and a half years and left and came back, back into my own practice. Okay. And so that's literally how I started. And starting that way, there was had to be somebody that literally gave me that first table to sit at. Right. Um, I had a job because I had a job in 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 Stewart with Shields McNamara and Dean Cole, and those are great guys. And the recession came, 
and the firm broke up. And I got a call from, it literally both were calling at the same time. Dean and Shields were saying, well, Aubin, uh, you know, you didn't sign that lease yet because we can't keep, we can't hire you anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay? And so you had to land on your feet. And when I sent out resumes, there were a lot of people saying no. Quite frankly, in fact, there were a lot of people of African Americans saying no. They were not given the opportunity. And that's when I went into Gwen and I decided I was, I was not going to ask anymore through writing. I was going to knock on the door and then go and say, all I need is a desk yes. or a table to sit down on in your space. I will take the rest from there. I will get the clients. I will do the work. And that's it. And she said, yes. And from that day on, I've offered a desk and a table. And you can come in and you can do the work. You can work on files. You can get paid, whatever it is, off council. You can make stuff and you could do it. And so that has happened. And I actually start by at middle school with younger people because I realized that I was exposed to a lot. I said I started my own pathway at fifth grade. Right. So I was exposed to a lot at an early age. So now I will expose a middle schooler to me and that that exposure actually can develop. And this, I guess now over time, it's turned into there's a whole bunch of young attorneys out there who have sat in here, whether they started middle school or high school and they went through college and they went through law school and they're practicing law. They're practicing law. OK. So what motivates you as an attorney? It's probably the same thing that motivated me, me my whole life, to simply do something good, get better at it, and become the best of it, and then start it all over again. My father sort of instilled that in all of us, my, all my siblings, and we sort of lived by it. Um, in fact, he carried that. I have his wallet after he died, and he literally carried a little piece of paper in it that, that, that had... The good, better, best. Never let it rest. Good, better, and, best. Never let it rest. And that's become, that's be- sort of become the standard of my family, of my siblings. And it's become the standard of my life. Right. So I look at something first to figure out to be good at it, get better at it, then become the best at it. And then you're just starting back at good again because you can always get better at it. Right. And you can become the best at it. So it puts you in a sense where you're always learning. And I've always liked learning. Okay. So I look at things just as just puzzles to figure out and to keep learning more and more. Okay. So how do you generate new ideas? Oh, gosh, there's, there's always new ideas. Right. I, I like to tell people, uh, if I spend time to let you in my mind, you'd go crazy. <laughs> there's always thoughts. And in fact, I, I, I tell people all the time that life, people don't actually not succeed from a lack of ideas. Right. Okay. They exceed from a lack, they, they fail to succeed from a lack of focus execution of those ideas. Most people have the ideas, they have the dreams, they have the plan, but they do not have the discipline to actually say, I must execute with focus that success above everything else. And that's where most people trip themselves. So ideas come all the time. Right. All, all of us have ideas. We have wonderful, great ideas. From the time that we could first conceive something, we're coming up with wonderful ideas. But most of us will not take the steps to invest ourselves 
wholeheartedly where only thing, success is the only option. That's the part that takes discipline, focus, and dogged desire to do it. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that you, before you were, from you were younger, you had a, a plan of, of getting to where you, of what you wanted to do. So what would you do in, if the plan did not come to fruition? Did you have a backup plan for those steps that you, you had um, made? There's no, there's and no, how did you adjust? There's, there's no backup when you seek to make something. Right. When you seek to invent the car, you don't have a backup. You're going to invent the car. Right. When you seek to build the Eiffel Tower, you don't have a backup. You're going to build the Eiffel Tower. So, and that's really what you, that's the, that's the dogged discipline focus. And it means that you have to go out and find other brains if you need to. Right. You have to find other resources if you need to. Uh, I told somebody yesterday, I always ask the dumb question. Most people are too egotistical to ask the seemingly dumb question. And there are many times when I'll walk in and say, I know this, you're going to think this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So let me ask this of you. Okay? And you'll be surprised. Most of the so-called dumb questions are actually the fundamental question. Right. And most people skip the fundamental. An expert is simply a person who have mastered the fundamental of his or her trade. But most of us are too egotistical. We skip the fundamentals. I had a young man here, in fact, one of my earliest interns, who's very, very successful today. He came to me in seventh grade, and everybody said he was a problem child, he was a problem student. And I sat down with him. He couldn't do math. He couldn't, it was, and then it impacted the rest of his performance. He never learned the timetables. Mm, the fundamentals. And I, so I sat down with him, and we taught him the timetables. And just that opened up his world. And today he's a different person just because of that. And again, it's simply to go back and ask the stupid question, ask the fundamentals, because we skip the fundamentals a lot. And it's usually because of our ego. Right. Most of us don't want to ask it. Okay. Well, that's good feedback. So never be afraid to ask questions and lean in. So my other question is, because you said if you want to go and build the Eiffel Tower, what if one step doesn't work for someone? So how would they adjust? The step doesn't work. Then you have to assess. Okay? There's a process of you go forward, you assess, reassess. You always have to reassess. And discussion I had with somebody the day before yesterday. There's an infinite amount of pathways to get to the next point. Right. And if you commit yourself and don't realize that if you backtrack or sidetrack or take a longer route, you will still get to the next point. What happens is most of us actually fixate ourselves on failure and not success. Fixated on success, you actually see that there's infinity in the amount of points to get to that destination. And it may take you longer. It may take you a winding route instead of the straight road across there. Uh, if you Before you build a bridge across the other side of the river, you may have to go downstream 10 miles to find a shallow part to walk across the river to lay your cable and come back 10 miles and lay your cable right. on the other side to stretch it across the river. And that's the same ideal that you look at. So sometimes it may require you to backtrack. 
and retrace your steps and find a different route. But again, that's not failure because you know that there's always other potential possibility to get, there's routes to get to that destination. Okay. So my next question was, what what was your biggest failure? So what would you say as an attorney has been your um, best learning moment? And what were the lessons from it? Actually, it probably has nothing to do with law, but it actually shaped a lot of my practice of law, particularly in family law. And it was the birth of my son. When I held him in my arm and carried him, it actually, for the first time, you realized that life came from and through you and that you impact life. And you now, sometimes when people come to you as an attorney, they're like, you're, you're cradled with them and you can impact their lives significantly. And it was a power, that was, that was a powerful, it's literally said, wow, this is year 2000, you're going at this. And, and literally, if you look at it, this is a couple of years into my practice. Yeah. And all of a sudden this came along and the moment of April 2000 was, wow. You have to be willing to recognize that you can impact people's lives significantly. You can't get so egotistical. You can't get caught up in everything. You have to recognize that they're humans that you're dealing with. And I like to tell people most of what we do is not emotional. Again, it's about property and money for the most part. Right. But it is property and money for human beings with human lives that you can impact. And it's one of those things. The other thing was when I was taking the bar exam. When I was taking the bar exam, I sat right at the front in front of the big clock and it ticks, ticks, ticks all the way through. And I went to the restroom and there was, I went to the restroom, there was, the restroom was packed. It's the, the, the Senate Convention Center in Tampa. And it's packed. It's just packed with men. And in the bar exam, you cannot talk. You cannot say anything to anybody. And as I waited there and I made my way to the sink, and I saw in the glass, I saw the eyes of somebody, and his eyes was rolling back. And he was shaking. And when I went up there, it was a gentleman who was having a seizure, and he was trying to inject himself. And would you believe it? This probably had to be 50 future lawyers in that bathroom that actually had walked up and walked past the sink and saw him shake and nobody had the humanity to assist. And I grabbed that needle and I finished his injection in the arm and he fell into my arms and I held him. And it's funny that a couple of people who were in there actually after they left there went and called the Florida bar and reported that I communicated with somebody oh, in the wow. restroom. I got a call from a bar investigator, and they said, and they were actually befuddled because he was taken out of there, and I never knew his name. The only thing I did was I, I held him, laid him down, and said, you'll be all right. Oh, and wow. I went out, and I told the practitioner, said, there's a gentleman in there who's having a seizure. And... It actually, and it's to this day, it actually bothers me that there could be almost 50 future lawyers right. that saw a fellow human being that was in that state 
And over the fact that somebody said you couldn't talk, they chose themselves over humanity. And we have to be very, very careful. We have to be very, very careful. Because when we start doing that, we trample on our very selves as human beings. That's true. And he could have died there. His eyes was rolling back. His tongue was literally twisted. And it's funny when you look at it, to see people wash their hands and walk away from him, to me was shocking. And the worst yet, they have people actually call the <laughs> And report and, you. And reported the black guy. And it was very easy for me to it because I was one of you, the black guy who went in the restroom <laughs> and the bar called. Wow. And they knew it was me because I reported to the proctor. But the investigator actually called to say, I commend you. <laughs> wow. So, so they and thought. We, we have reports, but it's one of those reports that will go nowhere. So was it multiple people that yep. reported you? Yep. Wow. Wow. But his own word, yeah, we had multiple reports of, wow. of you speaking to some. But, and it's funny, and I, I, it was just a reality. But again, those are things that have shaped my practice and shaped who I am and how I approach law. And in essence, I will not trade my humanity for the practice of law because I'm always going to be a human being first. Right. Above all else. So you mentioned that you do uh, family law. So can you expand a little bit more of the types of cases that you do as a practitioner of family law? Family law, the core of our family law practice is divorce and we now sort of merge a whole bunch of stuff into what we call unified family law. We have probate cases and guardianship cases as a part of unified family law. Um, but the bulk of our family law practice is divorce and all the elements of divorce, custody, uh, property division. Um, prenuptial, prenuptial is, is actually a, a big area. It's a burgeoning area, particularly for um, African-American professional women who actually get married later in life. Right. And by the time they get married, they usually have substantial assets. And it's not a wise move to get married if you don't have a prenuptial woman or a prenuptial agreement. Um, if you're getting married and you're getting married now later on after you already have the, the home, you have the investment accounts, you really want to consider whether you want to have a prenuptial agreement or not. So many people fear having that conversation off having a prenuptial agreement. So what would be your advice to anyone that's considering having those conversations first? Well, I like to tell people, I tell all my clients this when they come in, that every relationship has a personal intimate relationship, a legal business relationship, and as a byproduct of sex or adoption, a parental relationship. The bulk of your life is the legal business relationship. The personal intimate relationship is a struggle, and especially when you bring kids in, that gets cut off very, very quickly. Yes. So the bulk of life that we live through is property, assets, liability, mortgages, all those type of things. So I tell people, people actually need to have, and most divorces aren't triggered by people cheating. It's triggered by financial stresses and strain in the relationship. That's usually the biggest underlying thing that's there. Uncommunicated financial plan or misplans is usually the biggest trigger that triggers people. That's why people want to draw their corners. And so if people are to actually have honest discussion up front, 
about where they are and where they're going financially, they'll probably have a better marriage. <laughs> they, they probably, right. but, but again, we focus on the, the forms and not look at what is going to be the substance of the relationship. We're in a capitalist society. And to live in a capitalist society, you have to raise capital and utilize capital on an ongoing basis. You have to pay the mortgage, pay for the property, do all this stuff. So if you're going to intertwine yourself with somebody forever, it would be smart to have a capital discussion before you get intertwined. Right. It would be smart to find out that person's perspective on spending, saving, and investment. Okay. Be smart to figure out how you're going to say, okay, this is what I have from before, and this is what I want to do with it. A lot of people already have plans. If you are now getting married at 38 to 45 years old, okay, which is about the time for an average African-American professional woman to be getting married, you already have signal. You've been working 18 to 20 years. Right. You potentially already own your home, have significant. You also already have plans for those assets. You have planned for them already. You may already have children, okay? And so it's better to communicate that plan and be clear and then reserve based upon that plan than it is to leave it up. I like to tell people this. When it goes bad, you no longer like each other anymore. So don't say that, oh, we'll know how to work it out. That's true. It's better to work it out when you actually like each other then try to figure out how to work it out when you no longer like each other anymore. After so, things have gone bad. Okay. So do you believe in post-nops? Yes. Okay. And can you um, expand on what a post-nop is? Well, a post-nop, you look at a, a prenuptial or an antinuptial agreement occurs prior to it. A post-nuptial agreement is basically a settlement of the, the assets after you have already gotten married. And you still you have to go through the financial disclosure. It's a written, it's a written written document, which achieves after the, the the marriage some of the same things that you try to achieve in a prenup. Now a lot of people say, well, if we're dividing up everything, uh, why don't we just go in? But in reality, what you're doing is getting clarity on certain. Because again, a lot of it has to come to do with what are those assets, and in particular, if you're getting married again and you have children. And here in Florida, we have certain things like like homestead rights, spousal rights. If you get married and you own your home from before and your new spouse move in, your spouse now has spousal rights to your property. And people say, what? Yeah, that's in Florida Constitution. Okay. CLAD's resources and consulting values its customers. Our planner footsteps to my vision is a 13 month planner that can be used for five years. It walks you through SMART goals, SWOT analysis, action planning, and holds you accountable through three monthly check-ins. We work only with top quality materials, innovative designs, and verified suppliers, which are guaranteed to deliver to our high expectations because when it comes to our customer satisfaction, there's no room for compromise. Made with high quality PU leather and paper planner, helps you focus on achieving your goals by giving you a sense of personal and professional satisfaction. Some of the amazing features of this product, 
Division Board Planner, Luxury Pen, 8GB USB Flash Drive, Wireless Mouse, Ultra Elegant Packaging Box, available in five stunning colors, black, red, gold, pink, navy blue. Material, PU Leather, 13-month planner, elastic band for easy handling. Our Footsteps to My Vision is available at Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, our website, and at Walmart. You may also follow us at www.cladsresources.com, Instagram, Clads Resources, Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Clads Resources forward slash. You're listening to Talk with Clads. Find more resources online at cladsresources.com. Now back to the show with your host, Katie Ann. And that if you die, that may not necessarily mean that the, the, the asset goes to where you thought it was going to go. Okay? And then you're going to and and it happens quite a bit. A spouse moves into the home. And their previous home that they have, which is non-homestead property, nobody lives in it, can go to whoever they want to. But now the one with the homestead that's living in. So there's also the discussion, the legal business of your relationship should be something that you go in fully informed about. You know, somebody told me the other day, you know, you should have a part of your practice called pre-divorce advisement. (laughs) And, And actually we do. There are people who actually come in to really find out where their asset position so they can truly discuss with their spouse, so they can actually have a knowledgeable discussion about how they're going to intertwine themselves in this legal business relationship. Marriage is, once you're in it, a legal business relation, and make no bones about it. You're going to buy stuff together, save stuff, and most of the things that you're going to get into debt together. Yes. Okay? And when you're in it, Even if your name is not on that debt, there's some judge in some divorce could say, well, it's a marital debt and you're responsible for it also. And that's usually the shock for a lot of women to find. So do the same rules of rights apply to someone or a spouse who has been together over a 10 year period, but they have not um, legally been married. So should they have those same types of discussions or it does not or does it even apply to them at all well here in florida if you look at florida we don't have palimony per se is and we don't have common law marriage unless you were in a recognized common law marriage jurisdiction but we don't have common law marriage so living together doesn't necessarily create any true vested type of marital relationship um but People, we do a lot of what we call partition action among unmarried people. Um, Because a lot of unmarried people will buy properties together. They will own them together. They will own assets together, be intertwined in debt together. Now they want to go their separate ways. And somebody wants to sell and somebody don't want to sell. Well, it turns into a partition action which is a, a, a property action. And we do, we do quite a bit of that because a lot of people now are living together. They're not getting married, right? but they're doing all the same tenant. And in the, fact, the worst I tell people, it's actually easier to divide you up when you are married because there's statute that talks about presumption of how things are supposed to go. When you're unmarried, 
it comes down to who has the best evidence. I had a case once in the partition in which the only evidence of the payments for the asset came from her bank account. And he was saying, well, I gave her cash. I gave her cash. But he had no proof of ever giving her cash for anything. And the partition accountant is going to allocate based upon the percentages to how much the contribution to acquire and maintain the property in, to determine the ownership of it. So you could wind up on the short end of the stick if you're the cash basis person, mm -hmm. giving the other person cash, and you never have any proof of it, and then you wind in a legal fight. Because I like to tell people all the time, it's not about truth or justice. It's about whom can present the evidence to prove and establish the preponderance or the greater weight of his or her case. And you can be as right as you want to be. If you don't have the evidence, you don't have a day in court. Okay. And a lot of times when you are with somebody 10, 15, 20 years, and you've amassed assets together, and there's no documented trail, in a, if you are married, there's a presumption that it starts with an equitable, equal distribution between both of you. When you're unmarried, it's he or she who can prove that they contributed the most of it will walk away with a lion's share of it. So I advise a lot of people who are unmarried and intertwine themselves with assets. Be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. You need to be keeping accounting records because if you get into a dispute about that, if you don't have the evidence, you could wind up on the short end of the stick. And since now, so believe it or not, Marriage is a better way to go <laughs> in terms of creating the presumption of your assets. If you're going to be together 10, 15, 20 years, get married. Okay. And people say, well, what if we owned this stuff before? There's usually a thing called merger that if you own it before and you get married, then it's now presumed to be marital. So there's all these presumptions that occur in marriage that when it comes to asset division, that gives you a greater protection underneath the law than the, the tough fight that you have when you're two unmarried persons fighting about, well, I, I gave her over the past 20 years, I've contributed $200,000 in mortgage to this property. Sir, can you show us the evidence as to what you have as to that? Where's your evidence? I have her checkbook here. It ever, and literally, it's her this checkbook. lady had every single check that was written for 21 she did it right and she actually <laughs> did it right because she came to me very early in my practice and we talked about being living together and so she kept every she literally executed everything that i told her and she had every check everything that was there every payment for taxes every payment to repair the house and everything came from her checking account and it was a tough day for him wow very tough day for him. She had every check and she had the canceled check. So she had, as they say in healthcare, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. That's right. So she had the documents. She had the documents. She had the evidence. Mm -hmm. All he had was, this is my word. This is my word. You should believe me. You should believe me. Wow. Well, that's a tough life lesson for him. Yeah. So hopefully going forward. It, it's a consideration that people who are living together don't even realize right. and sort of intertwining themselves with assets. Get married. It makes it easier when you get divorced, believe it or not. <laughs> well, 
Well, we're not getting married to get divorced. I know, I, I'm, I'm saying because a lot of the reason why, because I, I hear this a lot, especially in the 20-something, 30-something currently. I don't want to get married because if I get divorced, I got to go through a divorce. But they don't realize that it's harder to just walk away when you own that townhouse together or that house together. And now a lot of people are, oh, they're... We're, I, we have our joint trading accounts together. We're doing stocks together. We've started a business together. We, they're intertwined and they're in these, they're going to be in these complex legal cases fighting about it unless they want to be cooperative. And usually, like I say, most times they're not. When you don't like you and them, like, like each other anymore, you're not that very cooperative. It's just human nature. Yeah. I don't like you. You don't like me. We don't like to cooperate by people we don't like. That is true. That is true. So what is a common myth that you have heard about uh, divorce attorneys and how do you debunk that? Um, probably one of the things is, is that we actually don't care. And it's the actual opposite. We care a lot. And the true reality is that is that most people actually come to us with their problems. We don't break people up. People say, oh, divorce lawyers don't care. They break people up. They break up marriages. Honestly. Some years ago, some judges asked me, Attorney Robinson, a couple of us have been talking to judges and realized that we've done a lot, quite a few divorces from pastors with you. How come you divorce from the pastors? And I had to, I told him, I said, listen, honestly, Your Honor, there's, I've never broken up a marriage. And when two people are truly wedded, and this goes back to talking about the acid before you get, when you're truly wedded, you go into your marriage fully naked. You've laid everything on the table. You've right. talked about the stuff. There's no fear to talk about anything. When you're truly wedded, you really won't get divorced. So I've never divorced anybody who's truly wedded. And there's a difference between going and getting married and being wedded. You can be wedded and never actually go through a, a, a marriage ceremony. And it's a state of being. It's a state of saying, you know what? I am with you. If we need to go fast, we go fast. If we need to go slow, we need to go slow. If we need to go left, we go left. Okay? If we want to talk about what you have, we talk about what you have. You want to talk about... See, people are on... They literally put themselves on the same page with each other. Mm -hmm. Most people actually don't get wedded. They get married. Okay? They actually did not sit down and say, we are in this. No matter what, let's put everything on the table. Let's decide the things that we need to decide and let's go forward together. If we need to go fast, we go fast. If we need to slow down, we go. I, I tell people there's a phrase in the, in, in the Bible and it's, it's not just in the Christian Bible. If you read up, it's there. Talk about two oxen tied together. And it's a perfect example that once you're tied together, if one oxen keeps going fast when the other one is lame and need to go slow. The field never gets plowed. Mm. But if the other one slows down, you plow more going at a slower pace than one trying to drag the other one along. The plow, it doesn't work that way. In a, in a great marriage, getting wedded, you have to look at that. You are now going to be tied together. And so when you are there, you slow down when you need to. You speed up when you go left, when you go, you go right. That requires a lot of communication before you get into it mm -hmm. and every moment when you're in it. And most of us actually think it's going to go on automatic pilot. It doesn't go on automatic pilot. 
And we human beings communicate through so much forms that it's not funny. Right. And most of our communication is nonverbal. And it requires a lot of observation. And most of us, when you're in a relationship with a person, you just sit there and take it for granted instead of observing. Instead of looking, listening, smelling, and you learn a lot more. But we don't because we never got wedded in the first place. We simply chose to get married because for whatever reason. And so the prenuptial discussion, the financial discussion is a part of being wedded because it's going to be a big part of your relationship. Money, debt, finance is a big part of any two people. Whether you are heterosexual, same sex, nobody, no sexual, whatever it is. Right. Okay. This capital society requires that you must actually talk about that and talk about parental relationship. A lot of people don't intend to become parents, they just intend to have good sex. <laughs> okay. It's so true. And so, in reality, if you actually say, you know what, we're going to be good parents and see how each person defines being good parent. And one person's perspective may be completely different than yours. Right. And then you have to be able to be accepting of it. And it's a whole different thing. You know, my phone just rang and it's my, and everybody in my practice, all my clients know it's on my, it's on my logo on my shield in Latin. Okay says, God, family, mankind. And so I tell all my clients, and judges know, stuff happened with my kids, happened with my family. Your Honor, I have to go. Okay? You're a part of mankind. They come before you. Okay? <laughs> God, and, family, and mankind. And I, live, and, I live, and I live my life by that way. So, and it's one of those fundamental things that you have to do. So, well, most of us actually, again, don't actually get ourselves truly wedded. And then you wind up being divorced. And then they come to you. Then they come to me. And, but I did not break them up. So the myth is that, oh, the lawyers are breaking people up. Honestly, most people are divorced before they actually got married because they never wedded each other. And I tell all my clients, this, go home, find a nice quiet space, close your eyes, and everything that you think wrong about your spouse now was there before. You just chose not to talk about it or address it up front. And it doesn't go away because people are who they are. Yes. Adam will always be Adam. Whatever flaws that we have that make us leave Eden, we will always carry it. We could try to mask it, pretend that it's not there, but it's there. And you have to accept Adam as Adam. Good, for better or for worse, sickness and health. That means accept the person with whatever flaws they have. Right. They, they're never going to change. And if you can't accept them and think that they're going to change, then don't get married to them. Okay. And the same applies to Eve? Yep. Eve. <laughs> Eve will be Eve. Steve will be Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give to an attorney that wants to specialize in uh, family law? Spend a lot of time getting to know yourself because family law requires you 
to not get caught up in the moments. And you actually don't get caught up in the moments when you know what you're about, when you define what you're about. See, I tell my clients, leave your emotions at the door because you don't have the pocketbook <laughs> to pay for your emotions. That is true. Okay? So, leave them at the door because emotions will cost you money. See, I, I, I tell them, listen, as a lawyer, I have to pay staff, have to pay all of these people. We have to commit ourselves to you. The only thing that you have for your lawyer is what you pay your lawyer. And so you have to ask, what is it that I want from my lawyer? And judges cannot give you emotional satisfaction. So I will tell people, leave your emotions at the door. Because there's no emotional satisfaction that no judge is going to give you. In fact, I have a thing that I tell my divorce clients all the time. That I reserve the right for you to call me. And it's pre-COVID, it's kind of difficult now. Because I know you're going to be in a fishbowl to call me and say, Attorney Robinson, I need to just sit down and have a meal or a drink with you. And we'll talk about anything other than your case. Because sometimes you're in this fishbowl. It's hard to actually talk to anybody about what's going on in your fishbowl especially when your spouse has the same friends and relationships that you do. So we can actually sit down and just talk about anything else, just so you can actually get out the fishbowl that you're in. And divorce is a fishbowl. You're in there and you're visible to everybody else and you really are swimming around hoping to get scooped out this fishbowl. Right. Okay? And it's and that's just a, it's a tough reality. But once you're out the fishbowl, you go swim in whatever ocean that you, you choose. Yes. So along your journey as an attorney, um, who, ha- who have been or who has been the three most influential people in your life? My mother, my father, Mr. Willie Pipram, my band director, and Herb Fine. Uh, he's right there. <laughs> That's the gentleman on the picture there. Okay. So it, it's it's sort of four. It's four. Okay. In essence. Right. And there's a collective that's the fifth. My siblings, my brothers and my sisters. Okay. And why have they been influential to you? Because we're all, all on such thing. We're a collective. We we literally have all these opposing personalities. Opposing politics, even different religions. But again, there's one thing that we are sort of all for one and one for all. Right. And so when it comes to us, we can oppose each other and debate a million things as to why you shouldn't vote for that person and this and that. But we leave that off the table when it comes to our interaction. And there's a, there's a sense of protection and bondedness between us. And my mother and father, we talk about this as, as, as siblings, you know, that they were two crazy fools that intertwined themselves with the whole purpose of raising the best, the best kids possible. My father lost his, both of his parents in the last, in the Spanish flu pandemic in Jamaica, oh, which wow. actually swept through the Caribbean later on in the, in the, in the mid to late 1920s. And, so he lost both of his parents. One, they were buried one week apart from each other. 
Oh, wow. So my father actually, um, as he liked to say, he went to live with his grandmother, but he liked, he told, he said, I raised my grandmother. And my father at 16 lied about his age, got on a boat and came to America to come and pick apples and work on vegetables in the northern part of America and then cut cane. Right. And so when you have that as parents, when they got together, their aim was to have children that were independently minded, mm-hmm. but sort of cling together when they need. And they sort of succeeded. They succeeded in essence. So there are a bunch of independent voices and uh, independent, crazy intellectuals and pursuits. And some of us are more crazy than some. Um, they probably think I'm crazy too, but that's the fun part of it. And the gentleman on your table? Herb Fine. I met Herb Fine. Herb Fine had practiced for over 50 years in New York as an attorney. And Herb Fine was actually one of the oldest person to pass the Florida bar. And he left New York and came to Florida, retired, so he says. And then he decided he was going to take the bar. And Herb and I take was literally the bar at the same time. Oh. And we met. I think it, I think it's the bar swearing in ceremony we met. And Herb's information and contribution to me was shared with me how he grew up and how he built law. Okay. Okay. In 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 New York and built his firm, and it was a great thing to actually have him as an attorney. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about Robert Fine or Herb Fine? Herbert Fine. Herbert, Herbert Fine. Herbert L. Fine. Uh, Herbert L. Fine. Herb was a practitioner in New York for over 50 years, and he retired and came to Florida and took the Florida bar. It's one of the oldest persons to pass the Florida bar. And we were both going into the bar at about the same time, and we met. Um, I believe we met at the, um, the swearing ceremonies. Um, at the courthouse and struck up a conversation and we hit it off and the relationship went from there and it became somewhat of a father-son relationship and we did a lot of things together and we started he was here Herb in fact Herb's office was right there Chris was in the back Chris Santa Maria and I was on the other side over there and we did a lot of things together and okay he, in essence, allowed himself, to, as he said, okay, I know something, but you probably are a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and we, we did that together. And there was a point, one of the, the great times he came and he topped, tapped on my door and he said, you know, listen, okay, the true reality is this, I'm working for you now and I'm here to support you. So let's go have fun. Hmm. And it was a great thing to have that turn of the table and to have him, in essence, throw his support there. And he was there. We had a lot of funds. We did a lot of things again. And that actually played into developing the sense of community and participating in the community. Herb was a person who loved to get into stuff. And he would be advocating for something in a heartbeat. Oh. <laughs> uh, and he always want me to, he would start it. But I had to go finish it. 
So that was really, really good. So we've reached the part of the show where I like to ask my guests, um, what is one quest? If you were to step in my shoes, what is one question that you would have liked me to ask that I have not asked you? Why am I still here? <laughs> That's a good one. And I ask that, you know, because um, like everything else, life is a, a series of challenges. And my simple answer is, it's still fun. Still fun. It's still fun. In fact, I tell my staff all the time that the day when I come in here and you see me saying that this is not fun, simply take my keys, walk me to the door, lock the door, call the locksmith, change the lock, and tell whoever's a young lawyer there, it's your firm now. Because when it's not, not fun anymore, mm-hmm. I don't need to be doing it. I truly enjoy I truly have fun doing this. People say, wow, you have fun. Yes, I do. I have fun with what I do. And I, and I tell people, I tell young lawyers all the time, to not get into this profession. If you think it's about money, if you think it's about prestige, if you think it's about this, if you think it's right. stepping stone, if you don't simply want to have fun, you'll become a drunk, you'll become an addict, you become dysfunctional. You become lost very, very quickly because this profession will eat you if you actually don't know how to have fun doing it. All right. Well, thank you for those words of wisdoms. So how can our listeners connect with you? Well, our office is located in Royal Palm Beach, 505 Royal Palm Beach Boulevard. Uh, we're at the corner of Southern Boulevard and Royal Palm Beach Boulevard. Um, our webpage is calllawyerrobinson.com. Uh, we're on Facebook also. Call Lawyer Robinson is there on Facebook. And our number is 561-333-8755. It used to be an 800 number, but I don't think we even have it connected anymore because nobody really uses 800 numbers anymore. Right. Cell phones, it's, it's, it's not important. In fact, I was just talking to somebody the other day about the days of $4,000 and $5,000 phone bills. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. So can you repeat your, your um, office number again for us? Our office number is 561-333-8755. And the website is call? CallLawyerRobinson.com. CallLawyerRobinson.com. Well, thank you so much, Lawyer Robinson, <laughs> for taking the time to come in, talk about your background and also your business. And um, thank you, everyone, for taking some time to talk with Clads. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Clads Resources and online at www.cladsresources.com. Our planner, Footsteps to My Vision, is also located on our website or on Facebook, Instagram, or Amazon. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time. Keep creating your footpath to your vision.